Hi, I'm Lauren. I'm Tia. And this is the Journey to Transformation. Welcome. Welcome back, everyone. How are you? I'm good. It's been ages, actually, since we chatted. On the podcast. Yeah, listeners don't know that we chat all day. (laughs) (laughs) Chat shit all day. Any news from you? I've been getting ready and getting locked up. Whoa. So this is big news. We've actually been really busy with our consultancy company, but building up to this, Tia's been preparing for something. Yeah. So what is it exactly that you're preparing for? I'm going on a clinical trial for three weeks. Wow. I don't know. This says a lot about me, but I do fantasize about, I don't know, like injuring myself in a very minor way so that I can go into the hospital and they would just be like, okay, you should just stay here for a little bit. Oh my gosh. Just get just some rest. I mean, it's about what, just shutting the world out and just being in a, your own little bubble. Yeah. So this is the nearest I could get to that. And I appreciate, obviously, that people have many medical emergencies and it's not a thing to make light of, but I really just need an opportunity to shut down completely and not get bothered by anyone. So I've joined a clinical trial. That's one way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> can you, are you able to tell the listeners what the clinical trial is for? I don't know if I can okay, actually, okay. but I will, I can say that it is a clinical trial that starts with an H and rhymes with Murphy's. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so they take healthy adults who don't have Murphy's. <laughs> and then they check and see how the medicine reacts to healthy individuals. Okay. Just, I don't have herpes, just so you know. <laughs> All right, flagged when you're listening. Casey will worry. Casey, you are interested. So, yeah, so that's it. But there's a particular emphasis on how it impacts the heart. So, yeah, there's a lot of it's been a little bit annoying because I also have that other thing that I'm doing, which is training for a 15 kilometer tough mutter. And so I can't do any strenuous exercise. And I've been like, I've been running the other day around 20K. Yeah. Amazing. Very good. So your heart's probably like in a really good condition to see what this medication does or not. Because you could have a placebo, right? Yes. In a clinical trial, you're either given the drug or the placebo. Exactly. And at any point, do you know whether you've been given one or the other? No. So this is a double blind study, which means that I don't know, but the researchers don't know either. Oh, that's interesting. So, uh, what, so nobody knows what I'm fucking getting. But at what point do they know? At what point is it unblinded? unblinded? <laughs> at what point are people told? I think at the very end when they're looking at the mm. data. I would imagine that's where it's at. Okay, interesting. Okay, I suddenly have a bunch of questions, but... All right, you know, hit me with your questions. But, but I think yeah. the reason why we wanted to talk about this was twofold, I think, right? Yeah. So firstly, we've often talked a lot on this podcast about the representation of women, of black women, queer women, of lesser-heard voices sure. in lots of places where we work, lots of areas that we work. And that includes in clinical trials or yeah. in, in trials in general when things are being tested, the underrepresentation of people like you in these trials don't point at me like that <laughs> <laughs> the way you fucking gestured at me just <laughs> i'm in the full journalistic mind <laughs> you are you stop you stop gesticulating at me like that you weirdo the second thing i wanted to mention and i don't know you can edit this out if you want but talking about the blindfolding thing right We've also seen this idea of things being, or people being blindfolded come up in our research. 
right. uh, and monitoring and evaluation. Some of the work that we do, random controlled trials, something called qualitative impact protocol. Anyway, more broadly, the ethical dilemmas of blindfolding people or not. Sure. And randomized controlled trials, the cornerstone of coming from health clinical trial into the field that we work in. Yeah. So there's some potential crossover there in terms of how they're done and what we learn from them. Anyway, so yeah. that's the two two reasons why I thought it'd be interesting to, to talk about this. This was my idea, to be fair. Okay, why, well, <laughs> Tia, thought it would be good to talk about this. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I guess you were talking about a couple of things, right? Because when we're talking about people being blindfolded in the evaluative work that we do, when you're talking about things like QUIP, qualitative impact protocol that is that the evaluators or the enumerators don't know anything about the project and therefore can't influence in either way the kind of findings or how the data is collected in the same way because i would argue that they can still influence it and there's a very similar approach here is that for example if i knew placebo effect is a is a real phenomenon for people where you think something's happening because your mind tricks you into believing it. So if I thought I was getting the medicine and I then my heart starts racing and I start imagining symptoms or adverse effects, that's why they try to get away from that. So you don't know what you've got so that you can't trick yourself into feeling one way or another. And it also means that other people aren't able to influence to be to interact with you in a way where they may or may not know yeah and that's interesting that bit around people influencing you around you for example if someone was like are you okay is your heart all right then i might be like do i have it <laughs> do you know what I mean? yes, 100%. and i think and that is as you say very much closely connected to the blindfolding bit in our own research as you talked about with the numerators and that and whoever else is interviewing people the point in which your own sort of biases and assumptions intersect with the conversation if you're really positive about a particular intervention or activity you might be like more positive in your tone or sure. more oh that was really good wasn't it or you know like the way that you're engaging with somebody has a has an impact yeah in theory what you're doing is you're chipping away at one less bias yes because there will be others a hundred but if you don't know what you're talking about and you're asking people about the general impressions of the world around them and they start talking about water sanitation and hygiene program but actually you're doing an evaluation for food security that's that can be quite useful although in that case i feel like your commissioning agency might be like the fuck <laughs> that, that's the tension that is a hundred percent the tension yeah. you want someone to talk about what's changed in their life and if your project comes up or not then you yeah. know that so be it if yeah. you interview 100 people and nobody talks about your project i'd say that's a pretty good finding what's the equivalent of that in a clinical trial they just give me a bucket full of pills and ask me to pick which one I want. maybe pick i'm just what trying to like <laughs> yeah really pick a rainbow yeah. and a filter and let's see what happens God. So going back to the clinical trial, yes. why it's important to me, because we've been talking about this, because obviously it's a big chunk of time for me to be, I can't go anywhere. I can take calls, so don't worry about that. I'll still be available. So listeners, any questions you have, I'll yeah. put a number on the There you go, put a phone notes. number on there. <laughs> you can call. Dial in. Yeah. Tell me more about this clinical trial. Yeah, so I'm on a ward, and I have done clinical trials before. Okay. And part of, a big part of the reason why I do them is what you said before, is this representation piece, because I think there's a really complicated tension between people of color and 
the medical field, which we saw a lot and heard a lot about around COVID vaccines, for example, which is very reasonable. Historically, people of color have been experimented on without their consent. Yeah. Super fucked up. And so, of course, when someone's, can I experiment on you? Of course, you'd be like, fuck no, get on your way. But the problem with that is it forces this dynamic where we don't know how different medicines affect different people. This particular study is really interesting because you have to give your consent to have the like genetic profile of how the medicine affects you on a like genetic ancestral level. I've always seen you using like wild words, but basically how the, how this medication, if I did have it would impact with the fact that I'm like half Filipino, half black. You know what I mean? Okay. So it is going to that granular level. So it's documenting every part of your ancestral makeup yeah and saying this drug has affected this half filipino woman this way yes so how i don't know if they would come to those conclusions necessarily (laughs) but they would look at your ethnicity and they would they're looking now at your ethnicity and how that interacts with this space which i think is really useful there's a really long history of us not understanding how medicine affects us in different ways. So for clinical trials, you have to be a certain demographic. So you have to be, your body mass index has to be whatever. You have to be this person. You have to be a non-smoker. But like, how does that interact with people who are smokers? Or who have, do you know what I mean? I understand that you want to create a kind of like clean comparator, but like, you're going to test this on like regular other people too, right? Mm, so it's basically just the majority, really, isn't it, that they tested on? If you were in America, it wouldn't be the majority, right? Because we are one of the most overweight countries in the world. That's so fair. in terms of like body mass index, that would exclude a lot of people. Yes, um, very fair. And very scary if you are situated outside of that. And what scares me the most here is the history, like the amount yep. of medicine that has come through that we all take over the years from paracetamol to antibiotics and whatever. We've all done it. We've all taken it. And the historical bit is that maybe that drug has never been tested on somebody like you. And yet we, we don't question it. We just do it. And at some point somebody has an adverse reaction or whatever. And I'm, I guess I'm slightly surprised that there is not more reactions to things that aren't tested on certain people however it could be that there are and i just don't know about them because it's not like the newspapers or where i see where would i find out about those things for example i wouldn't have a clue where to go so yeah i'm allergic to a kind of penicillin and yes i know I, but so, I've traveled with you. I've had to know that. <laughs> but that was, I've only... often thought, I'm going to give her that off brand penicillin if she off doesn't. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> anyway, I only know that because as a kid, my whole neck <laughs> swelled up or whatever and I couldn't, like, you know. So, like, there's a point in which like, do you have to get to that. <laughs> point to yeah. understand if something is safe for you as an individual yeah and that was probably an allergy that can come through wherever but allergies are strange to me you can just develop an allergy out of nowhere isn't that wild yeah i was watching this morning about like how you should give kids peanut butter between four to six months whenever i see a child i just throw a bunch of peanut butter in their face no, 
<laughs> because then, because right, hey, you. <laughs> because apparently, kids develop allergies from six months to one year. There's actually, from what I was gathering, a point in which you could build that up prior. Saturating a bunch of children. In- no, but, but then there was a. Good you song. heard it here, people. Take your medical advice from <laughs> Journey to Transformation. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> this is probably really dangerous territory. Cut this out. But Go sorry, on. I was going to say that. I guess part of the problem, like I was just looking at, do you remember the thing about the thalidomide and pregnancy, which was a massive problem, particularly in the UK? I don't really know about that. Can you explain a bit more? Sure. So it's basically this drug produced in the UK. So this was in the like 50s, late 50s. And they were giving it to people for like headaches or flu or whatever. But what happened was it had really shitty effects on pregnant women and their children. And children were being born without body. Body parts. Oh my God. It was really detrimental to children. That is horrendous. But this is part of the problem is that we don't know if we don't test it on different types of mm. people and different types of bodies. So when you have clinical trials, and obviously you're interacting with a really sensitive ethical space, because if I were pregnant, would I want to be trialing something that I didn't know was going to happen? But yeah. if I don't do it, then I'm no one will ever know. Yeah. So it's that kind of, I very much view getting involved in clinical trials as a little bit of like a taking one for the team thing, because I do have, there are a few things that are unique to me, just disclosing my medical history that I don't have herpes, but I do have sickle cell trait. And so I do think it's really important to understand how this might affect people with sickle cell or sickle cell trait who predominantly come from black communities. And that's hugely important to me. But if I don't do it, like are other people. Gosh, I'd be really curious to know that the makeup of clinical trials in general, especially in the States versus like Europe and so forth. Yeah, I can tell you that from the waiting room, it was very diverse, actually. I don't know if that's because of the way that clinical trials incentivize your participation, because obviously you get paid for it. So they were like young, like I was probably the oldest person in the waiting room. Oh. Apart from the fact that there was a trial happening in parallel that had a bunch of old people because they were all like shuffling around and stuff. And there's just a bunch of old people in the lobby, like complaining that they didn't have their tea and that all the young people were moaning about being in a clinical trial. <laughs> wow, such an great. interaction of people. Very yeah. interesting. Do you think this space is opening up for people to, for the medical fields to be doing clinical trials on different types of people. But I also, so that's encouraging from that perspective, but it is also a little bit worrying because we just, there are a lot of differences in terms of the way different bodies metabolize medicine, for example. Yes. And I think we see the after effects of that a lot in terms of how long it can take women to be diagnosed with certain things. And I think there's a lot around, often to do with like your period and stuff and like endotrominitis. Endometriosis. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I cannot find this word. You're in my right. <laughs> but things like that take a long time yeah. to diagnose. Yes. And partly because people have never trialed it on the women that are experiencing it. Yeah. And women's bodies feel, when you go to a doctor and you start explaining things, feel like an unknown thing sometimes. Yes. Yeah. I think we should probably also shout out to two books and a couple of authors that yeah. have inspired us. Yes, or data- one of them we've shouted out before. But yeah. Oh, have we? Yeah. I think both actually we have, we might have. But Data Feminism by Catherine Dignazio and Lauren Klein. That has been a bit of a foundation of our knowledge. Yes. In terms of the intersectional piece in clinical trials and data in general. And then Invisible Women 
Data Bias in a World Designed by Men by Caroline Criado Perez. He also that has book's a, right here. Oh, yes, there it is. He also has an accompanying podcast on the same debates. And they cover a couple of chapters in their book about medical data and the women in clinical trials. Very much recommend going and looking at those books. Yeah. Absolutely. So you're going to do a clinical trial? Wow. Am I going to do a clinical trial? It really depends what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and not that I have That's to have I would, I echo the sentiment that you said at the beginning about being in a space where I can just be shut away. <laughs> but I need it I'm to be... I'm constantly trying to shut you away. But... <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. But I'm, for me, it's more about being able to read my book and watch movies. If yeah. I could get rid of work, yeah. And just be in a space where all I could do is read books. Yeah. Then I'd be there in a heartbeat. Yeah. But that's... Although probably that could be a holiday. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> they have like Xboxes and Playstations and stuff. Wow. That's wild. Go VRs. Virtual reality headsets. I have a virtual headset. Oh. I'm not going to share mine. I'm only going to have herpes. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, they're going to be finding you down the corridors. Yeah. <laughs> and she's gone. Yeah, well, I can't play any of the games I like to play because I can't do anything strenuous. Yeah, that whole thing probably makes your heartbeat go through the roof because you're on the edge the of the universal ones. world sometimes <laughs> or you're next to some dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. Yeah. Anyway. What was I going to say? Oh, I was also looking at something, just going back to this a little bit, about like bias in medicine. I don't know, my algorithms are all very exciting at the moment. But I was thinking about this other thing and it was a nurse who was talking about skin tone bias and how publications on how to identify, for example, bed sores are done on white skin. So people with dark skin suffer from bed sores and other types of ailments that show up on the skin first because medical professionals haven't been sufficiently taught how to diagnose it across different skin tones. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting and very scary. Yeah, I don't want bed sores, but... I guess in some ways then that would lead you to want to have a certain kind of doctor, have a doctor that, like, represents who you are too. You know who I'd want to be my practitioner or, like, my... Meredith Ray. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm close though, Bailey. Yeah, she doesn't fuck around. No, she doesn't. She's. Uh, she seems like she'd be a good, like... Has she ever killed anyone? Talking about Grey's Anatomy. I think so, yeah. Yeah, everybody's killed one. Yeah. They, for all intents and purposes, obviously it's not real, but they often go to the end of the earth to find the answers to certain things. They're not very time efficient. Yeah, clearly. Because there's always like helicopters and shit flying through and people getting stabbed with icicles. Like yeah. They just don't really have... Yeah. The time management is poor. I think so. you're right, yeah. yeah. I mean, they probably only do... They say they're always in surgeries, but you only see one. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, what are you doing the rest of the time? But they are actually covering some interesting topics like this on Grey's Anatomy these days. Yeah, it's because uh, Shonda. Yeah, Shonda Rhimes, the director, producer, yeah. has really been covering some key topics relating to medical research on women. Nice. And also Way on to race. bring it around. <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> and also on racism as well. Also, something else that worries me a little bit is like to have that intersectional lens on clinical research in the medical space requires time, capacity, resources and getting the right people in those spaces. So encouraging people like encouraging you to join these clinical trials yep. or encouraging people to become doctors that uphold these values yep. and recognize the gaps in this research. And there is a fear there in terms of we've seen the National Health Service is really not what it used to be. I'm talking about 
from friends and hearsay and my own family having to find appointments here, there, wherever and people being overworked and we've seen junior doctors on strike not getting paid enough, you know. So I worry that like through all of this, representation again becomes a back or diversity becomes a bit of a back thought because the main issue here is having the right people there and I worry a little bit about that. Yeah, you should be worried about that. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, like uh, you've got to pay doctors fairly to junior doctors. Anyway, that's nothing to do with it, but yeah, not that. Yeah, I have a feeling that like people who are researchers get compensated a bit differently okay yeah but that's just a guess so there's also like this thing that intersects with people feeling confident to question people Mm. of authority so there's like a lot of documentation around doctors effectively like swinging their big dick god complexes around and people feeling unable to challenge them well i fight with doctors constantly if i don't agree with what they've said or if i don't understand or if they're not explaining it in a way that's like clear to me because it's my fucking body yeah. I've had so many people in the medical profession interacting with me for a range of different things. And I think it's really easy not to ask those questions or not to. And there is a systematic thing that's in this space, right? Because again, going back to this book, Smarter, Faster, Better, I read it years ago, but it's coming up a lot for me right now. Who's that by? Sorry. I can't remember. You okay. can put it in the show. But they were talking about why the federal aviation industry, so why pilots, the aviation industry is a much more innovative place because what they realized is that creating a power dynamic between like your pilot and your co-pilot meant that flying was less safe. So if you have a co-pilot or a flight attendant who sees something, they should say something and they should feel confident enough to say to the pilot, there's something happening. But there used to be a dynamic where it wasn't that, where the pilot was sitting there smoking their cigarettes and doing whatever, and people didn't feel they could challenge or call out behavior. And once they started doing that, they noticed that the, that flying was much safer because people felt enabled, but that doesn't exist in the medical field. So they compared the two things. So they looked at like medical malpractice because there's a dynamic where doctors, specialist doctors, people don't challenge them and people don't feel safe to say when something is not looking right. Yeah, we see that a lot in Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> but, but also echoing our... I like how you say it. It's, uh, you've observed that. Ah, As yes. an observer. In Grey's Sloan Hospital. There's, uh... <laughs> I'm basically in that. But there's, there comes a confidence that you need to have when you're dealing with your, your body. Well, you definitely. And the intersection of being a woman in that yeah. space yeah. and calling out that. I have just had very hard time... Mm being able to call out my bosses at any point sure. in the past from more of oh I must not be right yeah. like that kind of like disbelief in my own knowledge because someone who has power and authority believes it yeah you're constantly insubordinate so that shocks me that you feel you <laughs> but it's honestly not in the past couple of years very, this very much echoes in our own space right yes. in the research yeah. space and the monitoring and evaluation yeah. that we do how much do we feel that people are people who are interviewing, in fact, challenging what we're asking and the whole process? I, it's very rare that you would see somebody who's like in a community that is being served by a not-for-profit, especially an international one operating through a civil society organization, for example. You'll see them. That's why we spend a lot of time working on positivity bias and trying to overcome that and giving people space to provide critical feedback. They feel there is a cost and they feel that we come in as experts, therefore they can't challenge us or the questions we're asking or whatever. And they feel they can't challenge the organization because they're providing 
presumably needed in useful services or whatever. But I don't think that's right. And I think that I understand why we default to that, because we as a human species are like set up for hierarchy. We're set up to be told what to do because we have been. Like, think about organized religion. We just have been structured and ordered in a way that means we respond to that. But it is a hard thing to practice, to push back. And obviously, if you do it in a workplace, like you need to deal with what that means for you. But yes, you can always fucking fire your doctor. You should never, ever, if you don't feel comfortable with what you're being told, if it doesn't make sense, if it doesn't tell that person to fuck right off because they don't own you. They don't own your body. There's a reason why that phrase, get a second opinion, is a phrase. We shouldn't be handing over responsibility and power over our bodies to people if they've not made it clear what they're going to fucking do to you. So what you're saying is we'll probably see you back here in a couple of days. (laughs) We said that kicked you out of the trial or your insubordination. (laughs) There was somebody. So the last time I did a clinical trial was like seven years ago. It was ages ago. And there was a guy there who showed up and he said, I remember you. <laughs> you were, you went, did this trial with us in this, uh, in the other facility. And he named the other facility. And I was like, yeah, because I, you are known. I am known. But the thing is, I think one, I'm just like a surly ratty bitch, but also a confident, empowered woman. But... <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> surly ratty bitch. <laughs> I feel very confident, not in my knowledge, because obviously I'm not a medical doctor, but I feel confident in my knowledge that human beings make mistakes. And that's probably a very good thought to come back to. Now that you're going into this clinical trial, yeah. with the mentality that someone might make a mistake, sure. how does that make you feel? I feel okay because it takes a lot to get to a clinical trial. Especially, I would say, in the UK, where some there's still hints of the European regulations. And European regulations, I, I do trust. <laughs> they feel pretty comfortable to me. I wouldn't do a clinical trial in the States. I, <laughs> there's no way I would. I just wouldn't trust it. I don't know. And after the thalidomide thing that happened, like I do feel like there's the regulatory environment around clinical trials is very tight. So getting mm. to the stage where you are doing trials on human beings, a lot, you're like you've gone pretty far down down the line okay in terms of testing the safety i also feel confident that i'm 40 if something goes wild then i'm i haven't abdicated my right to take legal action against someone and i would really love a super yacht i know they're terrible for the environment but oh you just but i wonder if post-covid because the covid vaccine was so rapid like whether that's had an impact on the the time frame sure. of other medication. So okay. the mRNA or like the science behind the COVID vaccine has been around for a long time. I don't know what the exact terminology is of it. So I don't think any like protocols around dealing with human subjects were kind of skipped over, if that makes sense. Because presumably, given the scale of COVID, you wouldn't put an untested thing into the space. Because you'd have, like, billions of people die. Like, right, right. Although, but there is still the argument that there's a lot we still don't know in the next five to ten years yeah. that might suddenly materialise. Absolutely. Uh, you know, that very much unknown space. Yeah. Um, 
We're not vaccine deniers over here, though, to be fair. Yeah, so. not at all. Just, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway. I'd be keen for another booster, to be fair. Yeah, I actually, there's a really great article I read the other day called People Think COVID is Over or something. And it echoes a lot of often what I've said about the undiscussed trauma. Yeah. And um, that is still bubbling under the surface. It was a really interesting article. Yeah. It does um, feel like COVID is a covid is over not yeah. the impacts of it i would say yes and exactly that yeah yeah uh, so anyway final thoughts on your clinical trial anything that you're really looking forward to i'm looking forward to being in a space where nobody can really bother me <laughs> what if your neighbor is like really annoying that's gonna happen yeah. because i am a cranky ready bitch oh yes that's right uh, yeah that's gonna happen and i remember being pretty like keeping to myself in the last one that i did yeah i'm looking forward to making a contribution into the bigger picture but i'm also looking forward to just like being forced to stay in a space and i'm really curious about what happens because the last clinical trial i was in i it wasn't three weeks long so i'm really interested if this is like a kind of i don't know if you looked at it like an experiment, it's like however many people, like at least a dozen people yeah, who are in a relatively confined space that they can't leave. There is privacy, but it's minimal. And then there's people coming in, like pulling and prodding you. Wow. At particular so like times. Like a little guinea pig. Yeah. So I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder if people are going like, to crack. My approach is very much like prison rules. So I go in, beat the shit out of the biggest person there, and then just top dog. Just top dog it. <laughs> So I think along the listeners, I'm really excited to see what happens and hear how it went. Yeah. And so in about three weeks' time, we'll check in. And no, we'll... I'll do some Instagram lives. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Instagram lives for the clinical trial. Yeah. Love it. You can show people what it's really like. I'll do some covert ones. Yeah. Yeah. They have a laundry service. So if you want to send me some of your laundry, you <laughs> All right, I'll send my uh, so my bags over. No, you need to send your bedding. The stuff yeah. is big. <laughs> All right, I'll send my bedding. Do they want? Yeah, my duvet is a good shout. There you go. For blankets. All right, cool. Okay, good luck. Thank you. We'll be all thinking of you. Okay, all of us. Yeah, all <laughs> me and all the listeners. Super. Keep us updated. Yeah. And thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, um, thanks, everybody. I'm Tia. I'm Lauren. And this has been the Journey to Transformation. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Journey to Transformation. Leave us a five-star rating and a written review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Journey to Transformation is written and edited by us, Tia Rogers and Lauren Burrows. Our music comes from Praz Canal.